0: that we were singing, uh, that we are going to be talking a bit about the cross uh, tonight. And uh, as we continue in foundations and looking at some really essential doctrine of the Christian faith, um, we're going to be looking at something called the atonement tonight, the atonement. And essentially just looking at the cross, and we're going to ask a couple of basic questions in the brief amount of time that we have together. We could do weeks upon weeks upon weeks on the cross And we're going to spend just a a few weeks on it here um, in Foundations. And uh, tonight, just going to ask some basic questions, as I said, of what led uh, to Jesus' death on the cross, just something for us to to wrestle with a little bit. Uh, What happened as he hung on the cross? And then finally, asking ourselves the question well, what what did all that accomplish uh, anyway? Um, So, what led to Jesus' death on the cross? I think we have that. Okay, excellent. So there are several different ways that we could answer this question. Uh, and some from one perspective, you could say that Jesus' death was a, a brutal um, execution, a tragic result of political intrigue and religious leaders protecting their power base. But uh, this perspective, while not entirely in error, uh, is incomplete because it is lacking the most significant details and dynamics that are at play with Jesus's death Um, if you were to turn in the book of Acts I'll put the verse up on the screen that I'm going to be referencing here momentarily hopefully maybe not not working (laughs) hey there we go excellent just a little bit of lag All right, so Acts chapter 2, verse 22. And this is after Jesus' resurrection and ascension. uh, Peter, who is speaking, and he says, Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. So Peter's indictment of the spiritual leadership of Israel is that they perpetrated the murder of Jesus via means of the state, the Roman Empire. Remember them crying out, crucify him, crucify him. But that is only a part of the picture. And that could seem a very human tragedy if we weren't given the rest of the picture. When we consider the whole picture, as we read in these verses, we're compelled to view Jesus' death not simply as a tragedy of history, but a divinely planned sacrifice. A divinely planned sacrifice. Their evil actions, for which they were responsible, were part of God's deliberate plan, and foreknowledge. Did you catch those words? This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. If we were to compare later on in the book of Acts, we find these words in Acts chapter 4 verse 27, where it says, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. So this goes back a little bit to our discussions last time around in, in uh, Foundations Doctrine 1 about the whole the idea of the providence of God and his sovereignty. But what we need to get our minds around here tonight as we think about what caused Jesus' death, what led to it, was that the cross was not an afterthought or a work of divine improvisation. Rather, the Bible describes it, as we read in these verses, as a predetermined rescue plan born out of the nature of God himself, namely his love and his justice. On the side of the building, I think it's still there, the familiar verse to many of us, probably, of John, sorry, John 3.16. Now I want you, as I read this verse and the next verse, very familiar verse to many of us in the room. But to think about the words that are, sorry, I'm getting all kinds of alerts on my tablet up here that are, that are messing with me. Um, but for God so loved the world that he gave his only, one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So remember talking about this idea of this rescue plan born out of the nature of God himself, this idea of God's love leading God to give his one and only son. But if we are to look also not only at God's love but also his justice, if we turn to Romans chapter 3 verses 25 to 26 where it tells us this, in Jesus. So where did this come from? Where was this born out of, this rescue plan of the cross? Well, on the one hand, we have John 3, 16 telling us, for God so loved the world that he took action, that he gave his son. And yet here in Romans chapter 3, we have God presenting him as a sacrifice of atonement to satisfy his justice, that sins would not go unpunished. God's love took the initiative in sending his son, and his justice was on display in Christ being presented as a sacrifice that would turn away his wrath. Which we'll talk more about in a little bit tonight and in some of our uh, subsequent uh, evenings here in Foundations. So, this idea that Jesus hung on the cross was not, it wasn't an afterthought, it was a pre planned, predetermined sacrifice of the Father. A sacrifice to bear the punishment that leads us to shift our focus on the next question. If this is what God did, if this was his predetermined plan, what actually happened as Jesus hung on the cross? Now, I believe if I can see this right, I'll be putting up the right verse here momentarily. 2 Corinthians, no, it's not working. If you guys can control it up there, if you could put up 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. And there it is. Maybe it's just a delay. I'm sorry. That would be great. So God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So what happened as Jesus hung on the cross? Well, as Jesus hung on the cross, he did so as a substitute for the guilty. Not for any sin or wrongdoing of his own, but as a substitution. So the sacrifice of Jesus was a penalty substitution, or in theological terms, it is spoken of as penal substitution, like the penal system, like you're being punished. And this is important because if we fail to grasp this and veer off into other explanations uh, of the cross, we miss the primary meaning of it. We can look at the cross and see a bit of the Selfish, selfish, uh, selfless and uh, loving actions of Jesus in our behalf, but Jesus' selfless death, while it serves as an example to us, uh, to pr- provide an example, but that was not the main accomplishment of what he did on the cross. His death was that of a substitute bearing the punishment of sin. In 2 Peter chapter 2, Verse 20, Peter says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And in these words, Peter is alluding to that powerful prophetic passage from the prophet Isaiah, where the prophet Isaiah said these words, hundreds of years before the life and death of Christ, that surely... He took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. As a substitute, therefore, Jesus experienced unimaginable personal suffering in several different ways, if you're following along on, on the sheets. Unimaginable personal, personal suffering in a variety of ways. So what, what did he endure? Well, first and probably most apparent and relatable to us would be the physical suffering of the cross, the physical suffering of the cross. Jesus endured one of the most horrible and painful forms of execution devised ever devised by human beings. Uh, last autumn I had, I think it was last autumn, maybe in in the spring actually, but I had the privilege when we were going through the Gospel of Mark to preach on the section talking about the crucifixion of Jesus. And I went back to my notes from that time to just refresh our memory of what Jesus actually endured when the Bible says, and Jesus was crucified. Because flogging was the preliminary step in the process of execution which itself was so traumatic physically that there were those who did not survive this first step. Where their clothes were entirely removed, the entire backside from head to toe was lashed with a whip that was designed to inflict severe damage to the body. It contained fragments of bone and metal which would violently grab at the flesh and pull as they simultaneously bruised the body with the whip and then dragged it across. I know this isn't very pleasant, but this is the reality of what he endured. Standard procedure then would be for the victim, Jesus, to carry his own cross. But we know that he was so uh, traumatized physically by this that he was unable to carry his cross. And then as they nailed him, the impact of crucifixion upon the body produces a slow and agonizing death of asphyxiation, organ failure, and blood loss. I read this quote last time I preached in Mark. It says, the weight of the body pulling down on the arms makes breathing extremely difficult. Uh, this was a physio- physiologist from King's College in London. He was writing in The Guardian. And he said, in addition, the heart and the lungs would stop working as blood drained through the wounds. As the leg strength failed, the full weight of the body would transfer to the wrists, to the arms and shoulders, all of which would dislocate. And then... At that point, it was impossible to breathe and the victim would weaken, which is often why the Roman soldiers would break their legs so that they would expire even more quickly. Jesus experienced excruciating physical pain during his execution on the cross. But there is also, I think, something that we may not always give thought to, and that is the psychological and emotional suffering of dying in this way. If you think of all of this being compounded by being abandoned by his closest companions. Listen to these words in Mark's Gospel. um, Chapter 14, verse 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. He said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Did you catch those words? Don't just gloss over with them. He said, he was deeply distressed and troubled, overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He asks his friends to just stay here and keep watch. Pray with me. And as he returns, he found them sleeping a bit of foreshadowing of what was to come because when he was arrested later that same night, all the disciples scattered, leaving Jesus to face all the horrors to come that we just read, that I just re- recounted to you on his own. And it says, <clears throat> if I can find this verse. Sorry, I'm kind of navigating here. There we go. No, nope, one more. Here we go. <laughs> Where Jesus says this. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts. And you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. I want you just to imagine the impact on the man, Jesus, of seeing everyone melt away at his greatest moment of peril in a self-seeking attempt to save their own skin. I was thinking of this this afternoon, and I was thinking about when Jesus washed his disciples' feet. I wonder if he recalled washing their feet and countless other times. He served them, sacrificed for them, was patient with them, and he's abandoned. Finally, as a substitute, taking the sins of the entire world upon himself. That produced not only this psychological and emotional suffering, the physical suffering, but imagine an even greater experience of abandonment and suffering. A spiritual suffering. In Matthew's gospel, nope, sorry trying to find here. I don't have it on the slides. I'll just read it to you. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now think about this. The one who had never known anything but perfect fellowship with the Father experienced abandonment and was cut off from fellowship with him. That Jesus experienced an unimaginable measure of suffering in these areas as he hung in this state for three hours but to what end? What did Jesus' death on the cross accomplish? And that's where we'll focus just the rest of our time as we wrap up tonight. Well, Jesus' death, I just want to talk about three things that it accomplishes for us in terms of the atonement. And again, this is a a surface introduction to what Jesus did for us on the cross. One of the main things it does for us is it removes wrath. It removes wrath. In 1 John we read, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours but also for the sins of the whole world. This idea of atonement came up earlier in our talk. If if you remember when I read in Romans chapter 3, it says that God presented him, Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement. But what does this mean? Sometimes we'll, you know, we'll use this conversation in conversation even without a a reference to Christian things, of saying, well, somebody's just they're atoning for something. Um, But this idea of atonement has a A precise meaning that I don't want us to miss. That atonement is the means by which all the demands of God's wrath. which I don't want you to think of God's wrath as an angry uh, flying off the handle when we think of wrath. That's how we tend to think about it. But wrath in a a biblical uh, perspective is his just response to sin. That he is just and therefore has to judge sin and in this idea of atonement is the where the demands of God's wrath are satisfied because his wrath has been poured out fully on Jesus instead now another word for this more uncommon uh, perhaps but not necessarily in theological expression is that this is called propitiation <laughs> Propitiation, not a word that we use, but it's where the idea is is for something to turn away and to divert. Now, to capture that for you, just think of the number of diversions we're having to deal with lately on roads. As you come and there's the signs, the yellow signs with diversion for M25 with the shape wherever it is that you're supposed to be going. And the idea is, you know, because of the roadworks happening on the M25, they're saying we have to take the flow of cars that normally comes through this area and we create a diversion. And we have them take a different path. That's the idea when we're thinking about God's wrath here. God is propitiated through the death of Jesus. His his wrath is diverted onto his own son. And in so doing, this is what's amazing about it for you and for me. Is that he can then therefore turn favorably towards us. Because his wrath has been completely satisfied, it's been propitiated, it has been satisfied that wrath has been removed, God can positively turn towards us. His justice is maintained and satisfied by the cross so that he can be considered just in pardoning us when we put our faith in Christ. It removes wrath. It also delivers from bondage. Delivers from bondage. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, it tells us in Colossians 1. And brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Redemption carries the idea of being freed from bondage through the payment of a price. And Jesus paid that price so that we could be rescued From bondage to sin and darkness to be forgiven and free to live in his kingdom as his people. A bit of what we were talking about this morning is Mike was talking about uh, the Israelites being delivered from the bondage of slavery in Egypt, not to be set out to be their own people and to do whatever they wanted, but to live under his rule and his blessings. And if you think about this payment, recall Jesus' last words as he hung. On the cross, if you go to John's gospel, you'll find that as he breathed his last, he says, It is finished. Paid in full. It was a financial expression that a debt had been paid in full. And in him, and because of what he did on the cross, we can experience freedom. Freedom from the bondage of the guilt and power of sin in our lives. We can be set free from the fear of death itself because he died and lives for us. I want to read from, we're going to be starting a series in Hebrews uh, soon. I want to find this verse from, there's the Matthew verse I was looking for earlier. (laughs) Um, But Hebrews chapter 2 verses 14 and 15. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. So the death of Christ, what does it accomplish? Not only does it divert God's wrath away from us and onto Jesus so that through faith in Jesus we can be be forgiven and have that wrath turned from us, but it also is a liberator. It sets us free from bondage. It sets us free from the guilt of sin as his wrath is turned away, but it also sets us free from the power of sin. It sets us free from that power in the fear of death. All our lives held slavery by the fear of death. And it also overcomes, finally, separation and alienation with God. In 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, verses 17 to 20, we read these verses. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. It might be difficult for us to accept, but our sin puts a state of enmity between us and God. With reconciliation accomplished by the cross. When we think of a state of enmity, when you think of two uh, entities that are at war with one another, and we can think of conflicts in the world. You can think of uh, Ukraine, perhaps, is the one most on our radar in, in Europe, but if you we lived in other parts of the world, I'm sure there will be conflicts closer to home there. And the reality of what the cross accomplishes is a bringing of peace and an overcoming of alienation. And God initiated this through the cross. As we read Paul's words here, he says that God turned to the world in Christ. That there was a state of enmity and alienation between us. And the offended party, think about this, God the offended party, took the step in this predetermined, pre-planned sacrifice of his son that would turn away his wrath. That would set people free. He takes the step. And the burden upon himself. To make it possible for reconciliation to happen. By taking the burden of the offense upon himself. As Paul says again. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. He turned to the world favorably through the death of his son. So, no wonder as we close this passage out, we are urged by Paul to turn to him in response and be reconciled to God through Christ. Did you read that? We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God has turned to you in the cross in his son. Now turn to him and be reconciled to him. We're going to talk more about the atonement and the benefits of it and how we come to experience it, know it, how this pre-planned sacrifice of God's Son works out. There's some doctrines that we're going to work through over many, many weeks, over the next few weeks. Not many, but many, but several weeks. The biggest thing I want us to capture tonight of what it is that was actually experienced by the Son, what it is that it actually accomplished. But leave tonight knowing this. Salvation is of the Lord. That in all of this, God was not, one of the expressions I like to use, God was not building the airplane while it was flying. God was not going through the courses of history saying, oh my goodness, people are making a mess of things. How am I going to fix this? That he didn't send his son saying, hopefully he'll be able to go figure it out and sort it all out. He knew exactly what he was doing. He had a plan. He still has a plan. He is still working it out. He did all of this at great expense to himself so that we could experience all of this as a gift of his grace. And I wonder if you've done that. As we finish tonight, if you hear nothing else, before we sing songs in just a moment as I close our time in prayer, listen to Paul's words again. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf in light of everything that God has done to accomplish it. Be reconciled to God yourselves. If you haven't done that and you want to know more about that, please see me afterwards or someone else you know who is a leader here or a friend. Because as we talk about the atonement, you need to know that Jesus did this for you. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the cross. And Lord, while I shared imperfectly some realities of that cross and what you experienced on it, Jesus, and and why it had to happen, and what it accomplished for us, Lord, through all of these nights that we've had together in foundations, we've set our aim and our goal is not just to wrap our brains around some deep thoughts, but to think deliberatively about you, to think deeply about you and who you really are and what you've done for us and your Son, and have our hearts respond appropriately. And so, Lord, for those of us who've taken that step of faith in Christ in the past before, that we know you as our Savior and Lord, as we think about these things tonight, Father, I pray that our hearts would be full of gratitude and worship, that we would be reminded afresh of the great price that was paid and the great freedom that is ours. What a joy it is to know that we have no fear of condemnation. That we can come to you boldly because you have paid it all. That there is not more to be done. It is finished. And we can rest in that. Thank you, Lord. Lord, there may be somebody here tonight who cannot grasp that right now from their heart and say, that's true of me. No matter how long they've been coming to church or whether this is their first time tonight or have been coming for many years, The reality of coming to that point of realizing I need what Jesus died to give me. I need forgiveness. I need life. I need to be set free. I need to live under his rule. Lord, would you speak to our hearts tonight whether we're at one point of that spectrum or the other. As we sing songs to you now in worship and response, would you... Speak to our hearts. Whatever it is as you speak to us, Lord, to just help us take that next step. Just that next step of saying, okay, Jesus, I'll say yes. Whether that's another step of obedience for us and service, another step of denial of self, or whether it's just that first step of saying, yes, Jesus, I need you in my life. Help us, Lord, by your strength and your goodness to take that next step in light of the cross. In Jesus' name that we pray.